Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 625 for February 10th, 2020. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Tom Steven, also known as Tom on the Internet. Welcome to the show, Tom on the Internet. Thanks for having me. Well, let me set up to everybody how we quote unquote met, uh, even though today is, of course, the first time we've ever spoken. Tom caught my attention when he wrote a blog post about a fabulous podcast he was enjoying called Taming the Terminal. He uh, included uh, Bart Bouchatz and me on his tweet about this awesome uh, podcast he found. And that kind of started a love fest where I blogged about him blogging about us. And now I've asked him to come on the show to talk about yet another blog post that he wrote. Um, so, uh, Tom got his first job as a full-time developer and after a year he wrote up what he'd learned. Now, I think he's two years out from his first programming job now, um, but I wanted to talk, have him talk to you about what he learned in his first year, because it's not about syntax and, you know, if then statements are four of loops. It's a human interest story of how he learned to be a programmer and the things that, that kind of surprised him. Is that, is that a good setup there, Tom? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad to be on the show. <laughs> all right. Well, so first of all, I don't know anything about your background. Tell us about your background before you became a developer. How did this come to be? Okay. Uh, well, uh, before I became a developer. So in my mid-20s, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, like a lot of people in their mid-20s. Uh, but I found out that I could go teach English in South Korea. Oh, wow. And uh yeah, so I had this opportunity to go go abroad and, you know, just go live in South Korea. And I, and I knew nothing about Korea at the time. And I just thought, okay, I should do this. I should take this opportunity. So I ended up going out there and staying out there for six years, hmm. uh, living in Korea, teaching, eventually teaching at a university in, in Korea and just teaching English, right? Conversational English skills, business English skills. And I got married and my wife, who's Korean... Uh, and I decided, let's move back to Canada. Uh, and so we did. And in my early 30s, arrive back in Canada and say, okay, I'm going to find a job. <laughs> and then I couldn't find a job. Well, because all, um, all you know now is how to teach English to Koreans. And that's probably not a big line of work in Canada. Exactly. Um, and presumably yeah, so your was, wife already knew Korean. So that's you're out of people to teach. Or... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so, um, we uh, we moved in with my grandmother, and and the plan was we're going to be here for a week or two while I find a job, <laughs> and then uh, you know visit with grandma, and that'll be great. We ended up staying there for four months oh, as I as I couldn't find a job, I couldn't get an interview, I couldn't get a call back, and uh, and so I started thinking, what am I going to do with my life if I can't find a job? Um, and and so. I, I, this sounds ridiculous, but I actually went into Google and typed, what job can you get that pays well that you don't need to go back to school for? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad to know that Google could find that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, well Google did find it. And uh, Google told me that I could become a, a software developer, a web developer, oh, wow. um, and that I wouldn't have to go back to school because... I didn't have time to go back to school and we didn't have any money for me to go back to school. So it had to be something I could teach myself. And they said, all you need is a computer. And I had one of those. So, uh, <laughs> so I started, I started teaching myself how to program. Uh, wow. so, so that's, that's before, yeah, that, that's kind of leads up to me learn or starting to learn how to program. 
That's that's absolutely crazy. I, I I I did meet a guy who was in a similar position. He needed a job and he didn't. He had he he actually had money to invest, but he didn't have any skills in anything, and he wanted to know what was cool and new. And he he found out home uh, uh, microbreweries are big, and so he started a microbrewery. And he's actually oh. doing, he's doing well. He's in um, in uh, Peru, but it was the same kind of thing where he just typed into Google, "What can I do by myself?" You know, <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. I can't even imagine going at it that way. But okay, so you're 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 you had to be working some kind of job while you were learning to code on your own. You picked up mm-hmm. some nonsense job, right? Well, so. So at, at this point, all all my past experience had been in education, and uh, I had a master's of education. Um, okay. And so I finally did get a job um, in Toronto, working uh, at at a college. But hmm. this job paid next to nothing. Like hmm. like it, it really paid very very little. I think I had jobs in high school that paid roughly the same amount. Wow. So this was just me trying to get enough to to pay rent and so we moved to toronto we were in an apartment full of cockroaches my oh. wife wasn't employed i was working really what was what was sort of a nightmare job um and then every night i would go home and i would just say okay i cannot live my life like this time to study uh, and learn how to become a uh, software developer so you were slightly motivated <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because i it like when I meet people now who say, oh, I wish I could become a software developer, but I just don't have the time. I just think, no, you need you need to be in a bad enough situation where you have no choice. <laughs> oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I know you listened to the Chit Chat Across the Pond uh, two of them ago where I had uh, Eleanor um, Mazzarella, her last name, something like that, on uh, who switched from being a classical clarinetist to becoming a programmer. Now she didn't hate her job, but she had a lot of motivation because she wasn't making any money at it and wanted to maybe be able to eat real food and stuff. (laughs) But she did the same thing. She just started finding ways to learn. Okay. So you're going to become a software developer. You don't know anything. You've got the Googles and a a laptop or something. How did you figure out what to start studying? Um, So that's a, I mean, Good you question. Up, and I, I, you could I, look up COBOL or something accidentally <laughs> if you don't know what you're talking doing. Right. So, so uh, the original post or whatever I'd seen that said, yeah, you you can become a a web developer, um, also pointed to okay, well, there's three things that you need to know, and I know that you know what those three things are: they're HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And oh, okay. Once you know those things, you can you can become a a developer, right? Um, so I just went online and started reading blog posts and anything I could get that was free that would teach me how do I make a basic web page? And and I mean, I really had to start from scratch, like, hello world. Okay. Hello world. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, and why is hello world not working? And, <laughs> and all of this. And, um, it, it was, it was interesting because I, I, I enjoyed it right from the start. So, so I liked doing it. That, um, that's actually, I was going to ask you about that. It, all of this could have gone horribly wrong if you hated it. Yeah. Or if your well, brain probably, didn't work probably that wouldn't way. be talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I had hated it, this probably wouldn't have been an interview we would have done. But, uh, but the, the weird thing about doing it was it was really hard to convince anyone in my life that this was a smart idea. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were thinking you have a master's in education. You have 
years of experience in education, maybe you shouldn't try and become a software developer. You're in your 30s and you've never done this before. You can't learn this. Exactly. Uh, which I know, I know sounds ridiculous, but when you're in your thirties, it feel, it doesn't feel like you're very young, right? Um, it just, <laughs> it just feels like you're running out of time, but, uh, yeah. So, so I, I looked for any free resources I could get and slowly started building things one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And, um, so I was working at, at a college while I was doing this and, uh, if if Bart hears this, he's gonna absolutely hate this. But uh, <laughs> he will hear it. Do it. Do it. Tell him. <laughs> so I ended up. So I I saw that our school didn't have a very good way of tracking students. So I started building a very simple way of doing that. And remember, I have less than a year of experience at this point. So I have a way of tracking students. And then people say, "Oh, you know what? It'd be great if their pictures were on there." So I put their pictures on there. And then somebody says. It'd be great if their grades were on there. And I say, oh, I can do that too. Oh, no. And then if somebody said, it'd be great if it printed transcripts. And I said, I think I can make it do that. And so by the time uh, I was finished with this program, as a very junior developer, I'd created a, a software that could track students, do all their grades, print out transcripts, everything online. And and I just think like, I it's amazing that they let me do it. But I would never let a junior developer touch anything that sensitive. So, uh, well, yeah. and, and were there any kind of security measures in place or anything that to make sure that you didn't do anything you shouldn't do with this data? Or nope, no, no, not nothing like that. I, and and I was the person who knew the most. Oh so gosh, so terrifying. there was nobody looking to say like you shouldn't be doing this and you know nothing bad ever happened uh knock on wood right. but uh <laughs> but it probably could have so i i kind of got lucky i think with that well i i think what's good is is none of that is something that you shouldn't have done <laughs> perhaps the university which shall remain unnamed in this story should have maybe had some adult supervision for a task like that right yeah, I agree completely. Right. Maybe they'll use yeah. it as a test case to see what can somebody find out, you know, what, what kind of information can somebody pull together. So yeah. so you clearly by that time had figured out how to do database access and stuff, right? If you're pulling pictures and transcripts and grades and pulling them all together? Sort of. So so there there is this framework. So you you I know that in programming uh by stealth, you're using JavaScript. Uh, and you will eventually be using PHP right. on the back end. Well, there was this framework that was really popular at the time called Meteor. And okay. the promise of Meteor is we're going to do all the database stuff for you. Don't worry. Don't worry we'll your just pretty take care of head about it. <laughs> exactly. And okay. so, so Meteor just kind of took care of all of the hard parts of how do you store data? How do you retrieve data? It, it just sort of did it magically now it wasn't magic and i sort of understand what it was doing but it felt like magic to me so i got really far without actually knowing how a database works or or what a server does or even basic things like what is ssh <laughs> like i didn't know a lot of that stuff yeah. wow wow that's yeah, that's pretty crazy so so you write this terrifying program and uh now you've been you've been studying on your own for how long so by the time I felt like I could start applying for a job, I'd been doing this for about two and a half years. So 
again, e- evenings and weekends, um, pretty consistently, but, but there'd also be lulls. There'd be times where I would take a break from it, but about two and a half years. And, and then I started to think, okay. Uh, oh, and, and at that point my wife was pregnant. We were about to have a kid and, uh, <laughs> I started thinking, yeah, I got to, I got to find a job in software development soon because I think, yeah, at that point I was 35 years old. And I mean, there, there is definitely a bias in software development where if they're hiring a junior developer, they're looking for somebody who's 20 years old, maybe 22 years old, 35 is, is a bit abnormal. And, and when I actually well, went in for an cheap, interview, you would think they wouldn't care how old you were, right? I mean, they're <laughs> going to pay you like a junior developer. Why do they care whether you've got gray hair or not? I, th- I think it's just expectations, right? You yeah. Somebody comes in and they don't look like what you expect them to look like. And then people aren't sure really what to do with you. This, does, uh, it, this reminds me of, uh, I hired a woman uh, right out of school uh, who, had, who had just graduated from school. And a bunch of the guys were sitting around going, oh, it's going to be great young woman coming in here. And she came in and she was 52. I didn't <laughs> tell them. <laughs> <laughs> That was fun. Exactly. I enjoyed the yeah. heck out of that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so you've got this terrifying program and you decide to go out and hunt for a job. Uh, how did, how did that go? Was that easier than finding a job in education? So, so it, it turns out, and, and I was terrified to do this. It turns out it was ridiculously easy, oh. barely even a problem at all huh. for me. I, and I think maybe I just got lucky, but I, was just online. I saw somebody say, um, Hey, there's a job opening in Toronto. And I just thought, ah, I'll apply. And what's the worst that can happen? Get a little experience interviewing. Exactly. And then, uh, and then a week later, uh, I was in an interview and, uh, so, so, and I'm still at the company and I love the company. It's, we're, we're, a, a HR and, uh, payroll company in, in Toronto uh, called Humi. And, uh, but when I went in for that interview, it was the first time I had ever talked in person to somebody else about software development. (laughs) You have done this with no community support at all. Like not even like discussion forums or anything like that. No, no, just sort of me and a laptop and a couch and just, uh, yeah, I, I never really went out and, and talked to people about that stuff. Everyone says you should. And I tell people that now too, but I don't know. I, wow. I just, Maybe I'm antisocial. I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, I'm convinced that what makes you a good developer, one of the things is the ability to just sit and do it indefinitely or obsessively, maybe. Um, I I, I have to confess that I was uh, supposed to meet Tom at 1.30 my time and at 1.35 he's pinging me. And what do you think I was doing? I was coding. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to figure this mustache out. You know, I'm going at it. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot this poor guy. Good first impression, Allison. <laughs> no, but but it's that is true. If you get bitten by the coding bug, you, you can just spend hours and hours and hours doing it. It's it's really like nothing else for me. Yeah. I've asked a couple of people this question, whether it's like this for you, is I only stop when it's broken. Like when it works, you get this big rush and you're like, oh, I can do everything. And then you start the next thing and you wait until you're frustrated and bang your head against the wall. And that's when you stop. Right. Of course. But but don't you also find that when you start again the next day, you can figure out the solution almost right away? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like within minutes. It's like, you, ah, I'm an idiot. 
So I have learned to go for a walk with the dog or something. A lot of times if I'm coding in the early evening or something, I'll go take the dog for a walk and come back and go, oh, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Waking up in the morning, the shower hits the top of the head. All of a sudden, all the thoughts come back and you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So So, uh, one of the things that intrigued me um, was you said in your blog post, one of your headings was entitled Precision Matters. What, what what were you talking about when you said that? Mm-hmm. So so when I'm talking about precision matters, um, in programming, everything has a name. And programmers get really mad if you don't use the right name for the right thing. Hmm. Right. And, and you'll you'll find that when you talk to people who've been doing this for a while, if you say, for example, this is an HTML element. Right. If if you don't call it an HTML element, if you just say that HTML thing or something, they'll stop you and they'll say, what are you talking about? And it's embarrassing when people do that, when you're both supposed to be professionals and they're trying to slow you down like you're a little kid. Right. And saying, like, what what are you what are you trying to tell me right now? So I, I think the reason for this is that in programming. Uh, things can get really complicated really quickly and you want to solve any communication issues right away. So you want to make sure that people are actually talking about the same thing Uh. and then, and then you can move on and go, okay, so now we both understand what we're talking about. Now we can find a solution. Um, But, but I found this happened. Yeah. A number of times with senior developers where they would just stop me and say, I don't know what you're trying to tell me. (laughs) You need to start again. So in programming by stealth, I've I've been frustrated often. And in fact, I brought up what you said here on programming by stealth just yesterday with Bart is that I'll be trying to ask a question and I barely have a slight thread of an understanding of what I'm about to say. And it, I mean, it's just it's just like like a like a, a cobweb, abil- a, you know, level of mass at this point that I'm trying to get get my head and I'll say the wrong word and he'll stop me and correct it. And boom, it's like it just vaporized. Because I, I, I don't understand what I'm asking. And so I'm saying words like, well, you know, there's the squiggly thing. And then you got like a colon or something. And then the thing after that, you know, he's like, what are you talking about? You know, or he'll give me the right words. And what I have found is it actually helps that I have Bart and Dorothy. So with Bart, if I don't say it exactly right, he won't let me get to the next word in the sentence. So when I'm on the elliptical with Dorothy, I always turn to Dorothy. I go, okay, that squiggly thing. And then you got the colon, that thing after that. What is that? What was? What is that thing for? And then she'll she'll interpret what I say. We actually do crosstalk pretty often, though. So maybe that's part of why. Um, but it's it, it to me that precision is like it's like talking to somebody who's too into Star Wars. I like Star Wars, but you know, if I say the wrong planet or the you know rebels versus the whatever, you know, if I get that wrong, they just like rip your heart out. It's like no, let me get my point across first before you tell me I said it wrong. I, I think there's probably yeah a, a big uh, overlap between Star Wars fans and programmers. <laughs> I think I think there's something about the way it tickles the brain. But, yeah, uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, the thing I do enjoy a lot is with programming by stealth, uh, Bart will do a lesson and then a woman named Jill will write us a message to both of us. And it's almost exactly like that. Well, actually, Bart, 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> it'll be some precision thing where it's like, well, in PHP, that's not what it is. And and I love it because she's she's doing it to him what he's doing to me. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of fun. And, and, you know, she's sometimes right, not always, but uh, it, it does make it fun to, to see it from the other side, too. Okay, how, so... How does Bart feel about that? Oh, Bart... Bart has no ego whatsoever. And that's something I envy about him is, is that if somebody tries to correct him, his first reaction is to try to understand what they mean and see if they're right. Where my personal reaction is you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about because I know everything. That's my first stand, you know, that you have to (laughs) prove that you're right before I'm even going to listen to you. Yeah. I'm not that bad, but you know what I mean? We're a little bit on the other end of that. Um, We just did a segment uh, yesterday or two days ago on, on programming by stealth, a little tidbit where somebody pointed out that his math was actually wrong on his, uh, his uh, homework challenge, his solution. And his reaction was, Oh, that's interesting. You know, not, well, it can't be wrong because I wrote it, you know, it's, it's funny. So, yeah, no, he's he's just spectacular about that. He, he wants to learn and he I mean, he doesn't always give in, you know, if he thinks the other person's wrong, he'll debate it. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to be more like him when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, we all we all should be so lucky to be like Bart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, another thing you talked about is is what your perception of an effective programmer, what what that person looks like and what it turned out to be in reality. What mm-hmm. was, t- talk about that a little bit. Right. So when I, uh, when I was asked to do something as, as a junior developer, <clears throat> I was really worried that I was going to take too long and, uh, and that people would think, oh, he's too slow. We got to get rid of this guy, whatever, whatever. So I would just start type writing code as quickly as possible and just trying to get the thing to work. <laughs> exactly. Hands at the keyboard, just typing away like a cartoon. Uh, <laughs> just write comments just, so it looked like you were doing a lot, right? <laughs> exactly. And just, you know, sweating, uh, rolling up the sleeves. And uh, I, I really didn't know any better. And I just thought, okay, I've got I've got to get this thing done. I've got to get it out there. Um. And it wasn't until I started, until we hired some more senior developers that I, I noticed that they were in no rush to start writing code. And uh, something you'll notice with, with really good developers is they try to write code as a, writing code for them, even though you might think it's their job, writing code for them is, is a last resort. Oh. They don't want to write code. Code is a liability because you have to maintain that code, right? If there's oh. If there's a bug in that code, you're the one who has to take care of it. So you know, why use your own animations when you can use bootstrap, right? Why use, why use your own, I don't, well, you, I know that you're using a, uh, a, what is it? A currency conversion thing. Right. So, so you're using an API as opposed to building your own in PHP because then you don't have to worry about it not working. So the, the idea is that you want to slow down and write as little code as possible and understand really what are you trying to do and then write very precise code and figure out, okay, can I do this in, in one line? Can I do this in two lines as opposed to a hundred lines, which then I have to maintain for years and years and years and, and just hope that they never break. And uh, when you go back to your code, you know, five months later, it's much nicer to look at three really well-written lines of code as opposed to 40 lines of sort of spaghetti code all over the place. 
Does, I, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm definitely more in the spaghetti code kind of uh, uh, programmer right now. I, luckily, I'm good at comments, so I can figure out what the heck. It's like, what did that do? I don't even know. And, but I got <laughs> lots of comments and little little uh, ASCII things saying, look here to find that because that goes over to this. Um, you also talked about essentially requirements gathering first. Mm-hmm. Before, right, right. before starting to code. Yeah, and, and that's something that I hadn't really thought was a developer's job, but I, I'm realizing more and more that it is. So you can have, you know, sort of a product manager bring you a requirement and say, okay, I need you to build something that does X, right? What, whatever mm -hmm. it is. But the product manager isn't, if perhaps they're not technical, perhaps they're not a developer themselves, they're not going to be able to ask all the same questions the developer will ask. So a lot of the time, uh, my job is to sit down with somebody for a few hours and just say, okay, what are we trying to do? When you say click this button, right? What what exactly do you want to happen? Okay, great. Now let's say somebody enters some kind of thing into your into your web app. Can they delete this thing? They can. Okay. And what should happen to it? Can you get it back after it's deleted? All these things that that people, if you're using great software, you don't realize that somebody's thought of all of these things for you. But if you're using bad software, you realize that <laughs> nobody's thought about anything and everything's just sort of all over the place. So, so a lot of a, a developer's job is sitting down and thinking about how should things actually work Um and and then translating that into actual technical requirements, then writing code. But at first, it's just thinking, okay, is this thing actually make any sense? Yeah. I, I uh, took a Six Sigma course in uh, at work and uh, read the uh, Deming book on quality and this this stuff. And and one of the things they talk about in Six Sigma is muda or waste. And what was fascinating to me in taking the course, and it kind of, it's going to fold into what you were just saying, is I was in the IT organization and it, I derailed this six hour class for a half an hour arguing with the instructor until I finally figured out what he was really saying, which was my entire job was waste. Right? <laughs> well, because ideally you wouldn't even have to have an IT organization, right? I mean, it, it, let's, let's take an example of in the old days, if somebody needed a server, they had to fill out a request to buy a server and then they would get it approved in their budget and then they would give me the budget and then I would have somebody create a purchase order that would go out and purchase the hardware and then it would come in and then we'd assign a sysadmin and we'd put an operating system on, we put software on it. Well, today, what do you do? You push a button that says, I need a server, I need uh, three gigs of RAM, I need this many processors, boom, and you start working. Well, you just eliminated that whole thing. So that's when I realized that that what you really want to work towards, and this is true in coding, exactly what you were saying is, what if I can write no code? That is better than mm. writing code. That because every bit of code you write is, is you know, in some ways, waste, and it's it's a terrifying thing to embrace. But once you embrace it, I think you get so much better at what you're doing if you realize that your job doesn't actually add quality or anything to the product. You're you're there to get out of the way to get the problems to go away for the user, right? That, that that's right. Yeah. In fact, there's there's a whole movement called the no code movement, and it's it's entrepreneurs who are creating tech startups, right? They're tech startups in, in the same way that any other company is a tech startup, but they don't write any code themselves. They just take other products and they glue them together and they hmm. write things in there. So they'll use a Squarespace or or whatever, 
And at the end, they have a product, you can download their app, you can do all these things, but they haven't written any of their own code. And huh. so they don't have to pay for developers. Yeah. <laughs> well, I and I asked a question about that in our, our Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack, where we have a programming by stealth channel. And I, I, I had two approaches I could take. Uh, we're we're trying to make a, a grid of countries and currencies, and we need to be able to make them disappear. And I found a uh, I found a plugin that I got, I could point to over to this to the content delivery network for that plugin, and then I could just type in a couple of commands, and these things these rows would collapse and expand. Or I could use Bootstrap with a fairly easy command called collapse, and I could say have a data target say okay collapse this thing. So this the code to do it myself was very simple, but the code to do it with somebody else's code was even simpler. But now I'm dependent on them to continue to keep that plug in. What if they get hit by a car and it's just one guy? Or <laughs> at work, we used to always say, get hit by a beer truck. How do you, how do you make those? Those are trade-offs you have to make, right? Definitely. And, and there's the term for it, I think, in the industry is bus factor. Ah, okay. So how, okay. how high is somebody's bus factor? Meaning, if that person got hit by a bus tomorrow, how bad would that be for the company? Okay. And, uh, and, and so you're often trying to to make decisions based around a bus factor. So let's say there, there's a new framework. So let you're using Bootstrap, Bootstrap's great, you like it, you're using jQuery, jQuery's great, but what about this new thing that comes out? Mm. So everybody flocks to it and it's great, but it's written by one woman, you know, and then she gets busy and she just stops maintaining it. Right. And so now you're you're stuck on this thing and you think, Oh man, maybe I should have just stayed on Bootstrap where a million people are using this and the the answers are all there for me. So that maybe that's yeah. part of it though is to look at at the bus factor to say if this is is this one woman in her in her basement programming with a, a bunch of uh, Red Bull then <laughs> you know, maybe give it a try now and then for non-essential projects to see if it turns into something. But this other one is maybe maintained by Red Hat. That'd be a different thing. Or there's a big <laughs> open source community. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you have to decide if it's fueled by Red Hat or Red Bull. And you probably <laughs> want to go for the former. <laughs> I didn't even catch that I said that. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. The other thing I think you you kind of poked at with talking the requirements is stepping back and saying, what problem are we actually trying to solve? Because a lot of times you can do what they told you to do, but it didn't solve the problem they actually had, or they had you solving the wrong problem. Uh, yeah, that, that's right. I got a reputation for that was my key phrase. What problem were we trying to solve? And if you couldn't tell me, I, I had people come to me saying, I, I need you to do this thing for me at work. I said, okay, what problem are you trying to solve? Well, I need a blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What are you trying to solve? Well, because I need a blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. What? And and if you can't answer me, I threw you out of my office. I, mean, I don't care if you are my customer. I'm not going to write you something just because you if you don't know what you're trying to do. And and I think that's a, a huge value when you realize that because you could go off and code this little button you were talking about. But if it didn't do it, they didn't solve the real problem. You just wasted everybody's money and time. That's right. And, and something that a lot of companies are, are really clear about, and it's important to be, is you never ask your customers for solutions to their problems. <laughs> now, they, they, may, they may give them to you, but if they give you feedback, all you're looking at is the problem. Don't look at their solution. Don't worry about their solution because they don't have all, all of the context. And, and, and so the same thing will happen with us too. You know, somebody will say, let's build this new feature and you have to stop and go, why, why are we building this thing and, and to what end, right? And 
it's it's actually a skill to sort of be being able to separate the problem and the solution, as you mentioned, right? That it's an actual skill. It's not always obvious to to most people. Yeah, yeah. That it, mm-hmm. I only worked thirty five years before I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you you've taught you're self taught, so you probably don't have any bad habits. Uh, you're incredibly efficient. <laughs> you were you were probably a really fast developer when you got started. Right. That's right. I, I was I was the fastest developer. Everyone applauded when I walked in the room. <laughs> Speedy Gonzalez, they called you. Right? <laughs> yeah. No. Um. I, I was shocked at, at how slow I was. Um. As a new developer, and, and I didn't have anyone before I got hired. I had no one to benchmark myself against. So I thought I'm probably all right. But then when I got hired, I was hired at the same time as a couple other junior developers who were all very slow, like me. And we had a senior developer working with us who was not, was not, you know, twice as fast as us, which would still be a lot. He was an order of magnitude, maybe, maybe 10, oh. maybe 20 times faster oh, than us. How depressing. It, it was very difficult for me to sort of wrap my head around how I would spend all day on, on something. And then he would, he would do something equivalent you know, during a coffee break, like mm-hmm. in, in 20 minutes, he just write it up and then there it is and it's done and his thing would work better and it would look better. And I just kind of thought like, why, why am I even here? Like, why are they paying me to do this? And I think, I think this is hard for a lot of junior developers realizing that, okay, you got hired, but that's just the first step there. It's going to take a while before you're before you're even really valuable to your company. And a lot of companies hire junior developers knowing that the first few months, that junior developer is not going to be providing much value at all. And so, so it takes a while, but you do get faster, but it, it takes a long time. Well, so one thing that had to have happened for you to come away with that good attitude about it is that that senior developer must not have... Uh, put you down or been snotty about the fact that you were one twentieth their speed. That's right. You might've um, gotten lucky in that. Cause I think, I think I did. I have a, I have a really great senior developer. Um, who's now, who's now our, uh, director, director, VP rather of engineering. Um, and you know, he, he, he's great. And, uh, but he, he is also just extremely talented and, and very fast. And, um, he's been doing it for a really long time. Like he got a funny story is he got a cease and desist letter from, I think Skype when he was 13 years old. Oh, <laughs> cause he had written some, something. Yeah. Cause he, him and his friend had written some code that did something or other. And, and you just think like, Oh, you've been doing this for a really long time. Mm. And, and he's, he's not, he's not arrogant. Um, but, it, but he's, he's confident. He knows that he's really good. And he also knows that, it takes a long time to to get to his level. So, yeah, you, you're right. I I I I think I've taught I've told him enough that I appreciate him for that. But I should probably uh, <laughs> probably say it one more time. <laughs> yeah, just because you know some people are um, you know like like Bart are egoless and fine with you know confident, but don't need to put it in your face that they're so much better at it than you are. And and what you're saying makes me feel better about working with Dorothy because I'll be I, I spent. I want to say it was like three weeks to write something that was just absolutely trivial. I mean, it was just this tiny little thing. And Dorothy goes, oh, well, I think I'll just write a function and I'll loop through and blah, blah, blah. And she spits me some code. And it's like, 
in a month, I couldn't write what you just wrote. You wrote it while you were thinking it off the top of your head. And she never makes me feel bad about it. Um, and, and I should point out, she coded for 30 years in her previous jo- in her job. Uh, but she was in a different language. So the languages are new to her. Um, she didn't wasn't a JavaScript programmer, didn't do HTML. Um, and, and it's also been fun to learn that our brains work on different parts. Well, to me, the HTML is really easy. To her, the JavaScript's really easy. So she get frustrated with the HTML stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, the like bootstrap grid kind of stuff. I Actually, I seem to have lost that skill. But for a while there, I was real good at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's so fast and I'm so slow. And But I've, I've now had enough successes eventually that I can feel it starting to, you know, you know, just getting going up that hill. So, so that's, that's something that, um, so I haven't listened to that much programming by stealth. I've listened to a few episodes, but that's something that really impressed me in taming the terminal that you were able to put yourself out there doing something that, which I would think is terrifying, which is, I'm just going to go on, on, you know, on a podcast and just be, unfortunately ignorant about a whole <laughs> a whole field and then somebody's going to try and explain it to me and everyone's going to listen as i don't get it like i would find that <laughs> terrifying um well, I, I think you you have a background in, in engineering right. isn't that right yeah and i and i know nothing about physics and if somebody said okay we're gonna do a show where somebody teaches you physics i'd be like no you're not no, I'll, I'll go i'll go hide i'll go read a book i'll see me in two years and then we can we can talk once i already know it <laughs> Well, and and that's probably because of the way Bart approaches it. And and he likes teaching me because I do stop him and go, okay, no, 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 no. I don't understand that at all. What are you even talking about? And and what we've heard from people is that a lot of times they're stuck in the same spot. And that's why it's good to have the stooge who doesn't know anything. And I'm willing (laughs) to play that role. And most of the time I actually am stuck. Sometimes I ask questions where I'm like, hey, that might not be as clear as you think it was the way you said it. Um, the, The one hard part about that is that there are times where I know I'm not going to get it no matter how many times he says it. And I want us to move on and I go, okay, but he knows (laughs) I'm doing it. And he tries again and again. I'm like, nope, Bart, it's just not going to get in there this time. Right. Right. Um, And, and hopefully, hopefully you'll pick it up the next time. And you normally seem to, and, and listening to taming the terminal is an interesting thing after the fact, because that show went on for years, Mm -hmm. but I'm listening to it all within a month or two as I do the dishes every night. So I okay. put on my and podcast and I just do the dishes and I'm listening to it and there's Bart and Allison and now they're in 2014. Now they're in 2015. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to, to listen to this and go, wow. Okay. Wait, Allison knows all about this stuff now. She did not know that last time. I so, so, it's, so it's interesting well, to fun. watch that development. Yeah, yeah. It, it is an interesting show because, uh, well, we didn't even talk about what it is, but I hopefully people figured out it's Bart teaching me to use the terminal. Um, it is that when you realize that it's an evergreen podcast and, and most podcasts are popular because they, uh, they get, you know, they have new content every week. This is just the kind of show where it's going to be a different set of people. Uh, I, I helped a, a kid that my son went to high school with do a, a podcast about AP history, uh, AP European history. So advanced placement, there's a cl- uh, class you can take where you get college credit, but you have to pass the AP exam. So this is basically a preparatory um, podcast explaining everything you're going to need to do in order to get a five on the test. And it's it's evergreen. It's been running for, I think, like 14 or no, 
10 years, something like that. And every year, it's only like 300 kids take it. But these 300 kids are just like, oh, my God, Hank, you saved my life. You know, it's huge <laughs> to them. But it's just a new 300 each time. Right, it's, right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, taming the terminal, If it, I, I doubt there's very many people listening to this who haven't also listened to that. Well, they, but might, if that's, no, they probably they, haven't. Okay. Well, then if you're at all interested in learning the terminal, this is a great, it's, it's a really great way to do it. And it's not something that I would have, I would have anticipated before listening to it. Um, but just the back and forth and, you know, Bart tells you to do something, you ask why he (laughs) says just because, or he tries to explain it to you, something doesn't work. It, it, It just, it stuck in my mind in a way that a blog post wouldn't, or a video wouldn't. Um, and so it was just a really good way of getting to know about the terminal. And again, I could do it while washing the dishes. So, uh, you know, now that I've got a kid and uh, I don't have as much free time, it was a great way to learn this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did wonder whether that would work as an audio podcast. Um, I think, I think since it did work, we decided that, sure, we could teach programming without peeping up people <laughs> being able to see it too. But uh, yeah. luckily with his show notes, uh, I think that works too. Well, let's get mm-hmm. back to the things that you've learned. Um, so learning languages, you taught yourself uh, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and then got your first job. So did you then start learning lots of different languages? Did you try to add to that portfolio and how did that go? Right. So um, so when I started working at the company, we, we, yeah, we used JavaScript, um, obviously on the front end. Um, and on the back end, we used PHP. So I started teaching myself PHP. Have have you learned any PHP yet? Not yet. Bart keeps teasing. I think we're two or three sessions away from getting to start PHP. Okay. So so what you'll find, or at least what I found was, everything will feel extremely familiar until something is radically different and you just can't figure out why is this not working? And then somebody will say, in PHP, we do it like this. So... Uh. Um, once, once you know a programming language, um, other ones are a lot easier to learn. It's not, it's not the same thing. Learning JavaScript as my first language took years, but learning PHP, it was really a couple of months. And now when I try and learn something else, like learning Ruby, so I've started to learn Ruby as well. And, and Ruby is a fun language. Um, it, you can write it almost like English and it's much easier to learn because now it's my third or fourth language that I'm learning. So um, yeah, I would just keep trying to learn more and more languages as, as I, as I go along and, and, and there's so many out there, there's so many fun languages to learn. So it's exciting. It, the, the limiting factor here is time. It's not, uh, not motivation. <laughs> so as a, uh, as someone who learned Korean, I assume that you got pretty good at it since you went and taught it for six years. Um, it, would you say it's like learning, uh, human languages? Maybe like some of them are all romance languages, but some are not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely very similar. Uh, so, so I can speak Korean at an intermediate level and it's, it's fine. Um, yeah, so, so, okay. They actually are very similar in a lot of ways. So if you're learning JavaScript and then you're learning PHP, those two languages are very similar. Like you're English and you're learning Dutch or okay. you're French and you're learning Spanish. Okay. But <laughs> but there are other programming languages that I haven't really touched that have a total different paradigm and and just operate totally different, totally differently. So 
Um, for example, bash, you've written commands in, in your mm -hmm. terminal and that's using bash. Well, bash behaves very differently than JavaScript does. Bash is really weird. And it's a lot more like a Korean person trying to learn English or an English speaker learning Korean. There are some concepts, obviously, you have adjectives, you have verbs, but the way you put things together is very, very different. Um, but but really fun too. Learning languages is, is, is so much fun. I wish, I wish that uh, there were more hours in the day so I could do that. <laughs> I wonder whether you might end up like, uh, I had a roommate in college who was a linguistics major and she ended up learning, um, she took Spanish from eight to nine in the morning Italian from nine to 10 and Portuguese from 10 to 11. And she said by 11 o'clock, she couldn't speak any of them because they were just all mixed <laughs> together. Cause there'll be like a word that's the same in two of them, but the third language was different. And then another word, it's the same in the second two languages, but not the first. And so her, <laughs> she was just a complete mess by the time she got out of school. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a, a favorite language? Mm -hmm. Um, so my favorite language these days, uh, I would have to say it's probably TypeScript. Hmm. And so have you, have you heard of TypeScript before? I'm not sure. Okay. So TypeScript is an interesting language because if you know JavaScript, you already know TypeScript. Okay. Right. So TypeScript is JavaScript. It's just JavaScript, except you get to enforce your types very strictly, which means that in JavaScript, it's perfectly okay to try and add things together that you shouldn't be able to add together. Let's say you try and add, you try and add false, like the value false plus the value true, it'll give you something back, right? But okay. in TypeScript, it'll say, these are Boolean values, you can't add them, right? And, okay. and so TypeScript is just a type system uh, on top of JavaScript, which sort of, in, in some ways, it feels like a co-pilot telling you, Hey, hey, remember when you said that this was a string? Yeah. Well, how are you going to multiply a string? You can't do that. <laughs> sure uh, I am. And... <laughs> it was F-I-V-E, and now it just turned it into a five, and I can add, multiply that times three. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. And okay. so, so yeah, TypeScript is a lot of fun, and a lot of people who are learning, who have been writing JavaScript for years, are now moving towards TypeScript because it just gives you a lot more guarantees that your program's actually going to work in situations that you haven't thought about. Oh, but again, okay. if, once you know JavaScript, you, you've done all the hard work for TypeScript. TypeScript will just come along really nicely. Well, I just yeah. Googled it and I found TypeScript in five minutes. So you keep talking and I'll, I'm going to go learn that. And you can, <laughs> all you right. Let me know when you're done. <laughs> now, you mentioned that ever, the one thing all the developers you talk to at work agree on is they don't like JavaScript. Yeah. Why is that? So, it's, it's my only so, language. It's my first love. <laughs> Right. Um, JavaScript is, is just got such a weird place in the programming world because JavaScript, as you know, it's the only language that works in your browser, right? So it right. means that if you're going to write a web application, at least now, you've got to use JavaScript. Oh, I, um, did, I didn't actually that, know it's the only one that does that. Mm -hmm. okay. So so when when Bart decided to teach you HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, those three are in the browser. He didn't have any other option. Okay. <laughs> he he couldn't say I'm going to teach you, you know, HTML, um, you know, CSS and Ruby because Ruby's not as of yet. It's not in the browser, okay. so you have to use JavaScript. So you so you get a lot of developers who have spent 
time, you know, maybe they've done really hard server work or they've done something else, really difficult stuff in really complicated languages, but now they have to write a web application and they don't get to choose their language anymore. They have to oh, use JavaScript. Okay. And so, you know, when you force somebody to use something, they don't often, <laughs> they don't <laughs> always love it. Um, so, so I, th I think, I think that's the issue with JavaScript. I mean, there's also a few weird things with JavaScript, but in general, it, it's a, it's a great programming language. I really like it, but it's not uncommon to find experienced developers kind of turn up their nose at JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe again, cause it's not their first love. I, I do like what you said about, uh, once you learn a language really well, um, then, then learning another language gets easier and another language gets easier. I, I know I've met people in my career as I, I used to run a computer aided design organization and we changed from this old system called computer vision up to this new stuff called GeoMod at the time. And all the guys that were really, really good at CV refused to learn to do GeoMod. <laughs> it's like, well, you're not going to have a job. Yeah, but I'm the best at this. And, and I just right. asked them if you're the best at that, what makes you think you aren't going to be the best at this? Like be the first one over there learning the new thing. <laughs> Because, you're, I mean, if your brain already can figure this out and they're like, no, I think they actually finally told these guys, if you can't start using it by the end of the year, you're fired. And I don't remember when wow. they got fired, but they had to do that. It was that adamant. Like, don't, you know, tear this out of my cold, dead hands kind of thing. It's like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely, I mean, I've noticed that with people that I work with where they've learned a language five years ago and they are unquestionably good at that language. But if you say, okay, you should also learn this, they just say, nope, I'm not doing that. I will not do that. And I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, but it's something I'm trying to make sure doesn't happen to me. Because like you said, the, so at some point, somebody will say, okay, well, then you're fired. <laughs> and <so. laughs> well, and I think it's important for your brain to to keep doing new things and challenging yourself. I mean, you as an elderly 30-ish something, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you're you're just on the edge of atrophy right now. Um, but, but seriously, it, I think it is real easy to fall in the trap of what you know and not learning anything new. Um, I know you're kind of new to the show, but I've had a woman on the show several times. Uh, her name is Dr. Marianne Gary, and she, she studies memory and false memories, actually. She's really the crusher of dreams, she calls herself. Uh, but... She talked to me about um, one of the ways the studies have shown that you can reduce the chances of having uh, memory problems, even Alzheimer's, is to stress your brain with learning something that's really hard for you and perfecting it. Like not just hmm. learning to play guitar so you can play Mary Had a Little Lamb, but actually learning to play guitar. And so that's when I started learning to program was because I wanted to do something that was really hard. And it's really, really hard. <laughs> it, it it is unquestionably hard like nobody talks about learning to pro i don't i haven't met anyone who talks about programming being something that was really easy to pick up so so that's interesting i wonder what other things sort of fall in that category of things that are really hard to learn um hard to learn to really do hard well right, right right hard to learn hard to learn to do well but still fun to do because at the end of the day programming is still fun I'm sure there's a lot of things I could find that are really hard to do and I would just hate doing them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is the question. But I, I mean, I think our brains are different. Uh, you definitely, it, to you, it's exciting to learn this stuff and new and fun. Um, I'm certainly finding it fun, which I, I don't know. 
And it'd, it'd be really sad if I hadn't discovered that I loved it. And, and there were quite mm-hmm. a few months there I didn't love it at all. <laughs> I'm still not sure I understand the whole object-oriented thing. Uh, Jill will kill me, but I still I, I get paralyzed when I hear the word prototype. So, um, anyway. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I think there's 15 developers that I work with. I, I'm sure 80% of them would be terrified if they had to on-the-spot explain what is prototypical inheritance versus yeah. class-based inheritance. It's... <laughs> You know, and also not that useful day to day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from someone who took uh, quantum mechanics in college, I have not had that many uses for that either. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) So uh, now at this point in your esteemed career of two entire years, do you Mm -hmm. uh, learn everything new at work? Is that how you're learning more languages? No. So um, not, not really at all. So when I'm at work, I, I get to work on the things that work wants me to work on. Um, but there's often things that I want to learn that will be beneficial in my job, but don't make sense in the short term for, for work to pay me to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, you, I just have to sort of think about the future. So one thing I did actually after, after working at the company for um, a year and a half, I decided, or I asked if I could start working remotely and they let me. And so now I've moved two hours away from my, my company. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, and, and bought a house. And there are not a lot of programming jobs out here where I'm living. Uh, and so I have to just keep thinking about the future. And, and the future is really good for developers who know a lot of things and not great for developers who stop learning things. <laughs> so So I just make sure that, okay, it's um, lunchtime. Okay, great. I'm going to teach myself this or that, or, okay, it's the evening, you know, I've put my son to bed, read stories, all that. Okay, great. Now let's learn this new thing. Right. And so that's, that's where Taming the Terminal came in because something I found is a lot of developers are not great at the terminal and they're, and they're, and they're afraid of it. And I didn't want to be one of those people. I want to be somebody, you know, not Bart, nobody gets to be Bart, not everyone gets to be Bart, but somebody who be, having been put in front of a terminal, we go, okay, great. I know where I am. I feel comfortable. And um, so, yeah, so evenings and weekends still just learning new things, learning new things, making sure that uh, that Tom in, in five years and Tom in 10 years is still somebody very employable. So uh, yeah. fingers crossed. <laughs> Do you find that uh, I, I, I'm starting to understand the prototypical heavy set person as a result of loving uh, development, because I, I mean, I still work out twice a day, but there's a whole lot of times where I'm going, well, maybe it's too cold to go out for the dog walk this afternoon. Maybe I could just keep going. And then the dog comes and puts her chin yeah. on my leg and it's like, OK, fine, I'll go out. But I, I just I just lose track of time, like what we just saw here. I'll just be sitting for hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's a whole industry around that. I mean, <laughs> I, I so again, I've listened to to a handful of podcasts with you and Bart. And I remember Bart saying that at some point he had put on 40 pounds and, uh, he had to lose all that weight and then he did. And great. That's good for him. Same things happened to me. I I was 40, maybe even 50 pounds lighter when we moved from Korea back to Canada. And now at some point I'm like, Oh, I've got to lose this weight. And I don't want to do exercise anymore. Like I used to, (laughs) I want to sit in front of the computer. So at some point there's going to be a mind shift change and I'm going to have to do it. And hopefully it'll be sooner than later. Um, 
yeah, but yeah it's, it's no I'll surprise. S- I'll send you a link to uh, Bart did an episode where of uh, Chit Chat Across the Pond Light, where he talked about how he lost weight and what he did and the journey that he went on to get there. And and by the way, I think it's 80 pounds that he lost. So uh, really? Yeah. And, wow. he, and he's, he's your age-ish. So, uh, yeah. but he was starting to run into health problems as a result. And I could see, I could see that happening. I've, I've got enough rigor to my schedule that I'm eating right. And I'm, I am still exercising in spite of my desire not to. So I've just started to give up television, for example. I don't, sure, yeah. I, it, you know, after dinner, I go back up to my room and uh, to my den and I start programming instead of watching <laughs> drivel on TV. So that's working for me. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't have a little boy at home who who desperately I want to read stories to. So that I think you're I think you're still balancing it well. I, I hope so. Yeah, well, he'll he'll tell me in a few years, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, this is this has been so much fun. Everything I was hoping for and more. This is great. Um, I have a feeling we'll be in touch often. Uh, if people wanted to follow you, how would they find you? Sure. So if you wanted to follow me. That's a great question. Okay, here is I'll make it easy. You can go to tomontheinternet.com. Best URL uh, ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh com, and then if you go there I should pop up my face is there somewhere and Wait, then you can literally I'm, pop up in kind of a creepy way. His head just sort yeah. of pops up. It's really kind of disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, so so I'm I'm hoping to to start a YouTube channel, you know, maybe give back some free resources and start writing some more blog posts, that sort of thing. Uh, but anyway, you can find me on there and uh, reach out if you have any questions. If you're somebody who is getting into programming, um, I'm happy to share any any answers I have. Hopefully I will have some. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the PodFeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSillaCastaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSillaCastaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.